Hello, I'm Ed Byrne. And as my kids get older and the march of time pushes me ever closer to the inevitability of retirement, I've decided I'm in the market for a new hobby. But I seek guidance. So every week, I'll be meeting up with one of my celebrity chums, trying out their favourite pastime, and then interrogating them about it to see if it's for me. And just to make sure I fully divorce myself from the decision-making process, I will also be starting and finishing every episode with a chat with my wife, Claire, in order to fully examine whether or not said hobby is a good fit. This is Ed Byrne Needs a Hobby. Who are you seeing today? Well, it's funny you should ask me. <laughs> a wine, Win Evans. Well, he, I don't know him at all, but he seems like a lovely chap. I've only met him once um, when he beat me soundly on uh, the hit list. We did the did celebrity, celebrity hit list. Yes. Yes. Mainly, mainly that my downfall was uh, Zoe Lyons not being able to recall the name of a Yazoo song. That 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 really et into our time. But also oh. a wine's... Uh, encyclopedic, I would say, knowledge of emo music. He absolutely, yeah, thrashed us on the emo round. But yeah, lovely guy, and uh, as is a well-documented, uh, very keen drummer. Very musical. Yeah, people will know him as a, as a, originally a weather presenter and now host the early breakfast on Radio 2. But uh, drumming, hey, I like drumming, I understand it. Keen to give it a go, so I'm going to go meet him at a studio in Cardiff, can I pick you up on something like you yeah. understand it? What I understand, you understand what it is. I understand. I understand drumming better than I understand rugby league or rugby union. I'm saying, you know. Okay. Do you know? I get do it. you know what all the drums like, are in the like, drum kit? Yeah, but like do my you? point is, like if if there's rugby on the radio, you don't see me miming along, do you? Whereas a good drum solo, I will. I'll I'll air drum. Yes. Much to your chagrin. Okay. Yes, and you know you've got rhythm, and um, this could be good. <laughs> Don't ask listeners how she knows that. <laughs> I'm curious to know when you come back how much you understand drumming. drumming. Yeah. That's 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 I the thing. That's the thing you're really going to pick me up on. No, I think that you can. How do I? I think you don't know what understand means. I think that you can. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you can see the purpose of drumming, and you can see the point of the drummer in a cracking song, but I don't think you understand it. I see. I'm just saying, I just get it. I just understand. I understand the appeal of drumming in a way that oh, if I was talking better. to somebody, I was talking, if I was talking to somebody about playing golf or even, dare I say it, exploring Cold War era fallout monitoring stations, that, that's something that takes a bit more of, of a stretch for me to understand. Whereas drumming... I just get it. I just understand I drumming. So what you meant to say was you understand the appeal of it rather than you understand drumming. I misunderstood you. I'm 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 beginning to lose my understanding of the appeal of you right now. That's so. not my it. <laughs> Hello, my name's Owen Wynne Evans. I am a radio DJ, a presenter, and a drummer. Well, I was probably like about six or seven when I first started drumming. And 
for me as a child, grow, I grew up in Ammonford, this place in southwest Wales, which is like an ex-mining town. And like so many towns across the UK, you know, through the kind of 80s and then the 90s, coal mines closed down. All of that kind of stopped. And then Ammonford became a kind of a quieter place, I suppose. And it was a weird place growing up as a young gay man because there were no kind of role models. You know, there was no kind of reference point for someone like me in Ammonford. Yeah. I was like... I actually did feel like there were no other homosexuals. You know, I felt like I was the OG. I was the only gay in the village, Ed, believe it or not. I learned later that I, indeed I wasn't, but at the time it felt like I really was the only gay in the village. So the drums was like a companion to me, you know? And I think when I started playing when I was six or seven, I remember seeing this drum kit in school for the first time. And drum kits are a bit extra, aren't they? You know, they're like all chrome and, you know, they're quite big and shiny. So I think visually I was attracted to that side of it. But then when I heard somebody starting to play them, obviously I'd heard drum kits before, but seeing a person playing a drum kit, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to play that thing. So my parents bought me this cardboard drum kit from Argos, bless them. And it was the was thing... Was it even a real drum kit or was it like a toy drum kit? It was like a toy drum kit. Right. But it lo- what was great about it was, is it looked like a drum kit and it had the pedals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Nothing like the kids' toy drum kits that you can get now. It actually was a working kit, but it was, it was less than two feet tall, you know, this thing. It was small, uh, but it was perfect for me. And that drum kit is what made me realise I want to play the drums. I want a big drum kit. After playing it once or twice, I could do a beat. I could hold a rhythm. And I think when I was younger, you know, I was always like tapping along to stuff and probably knew inside me that I wanted to play this thing. But I never came across a drum kit before, you know, we didn't really have them in school. I just happened to see this one and then that was the thing. Did you ever, as a younger man, regret not going for something slightly more portable? Oh, my parents did. My my parents would have loved it if I went for a recorder or something, hmm. or, you know, something that was a bit more discreet. Because I mean, like, Obviously, recorder, not very cool, but the harmonica. Harmonica would have worked. Handy, and maybe why not a tambourine? And even... No. No, tambourines are a <laughs> bit <laughs> crap. Unless they're just part of a drum kit. Yeah, that's right. true. I always think if you see somebody on a stage and the only thing they're doing is playing a tambourine, boring. They are having sex with somebody. In that band. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought of it like that before, but now you mention it, you don't hear of many professional tambourine players. No, I mean Bob Dylan sang about a guy, but we know we've no proof that that guy made a living. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> he was a man who played the tambourine, and I suppose that's that. But it was more than a tambourine for me. You know, I wanted the drums. I wanted yeah. the theatre of it all. And and I think also, weirdly, there was something, and I've probably analysed this way too much, Ed, over the years. But looking back at that time now, I think maybe there was something in it, you know, that I was like, as a shy, but also kind of flamboyant child, you know, maybe the drums for me were a way to kind of express myself and be like, I want to be seen, I want to be heard, but my social anxiety was preventing me from doing that a lot of the time. Whereas a drum kit makes loads of noise, looks quite cool. So I think it was a way of me to feel like I was cooler than I actually was. Well, because there is that dichotomy. We were kind of chatting about there in that you can express yourself through it. But it's also quite a large bit of apparatus that you can kind of hide behind. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I definitely hid behind it. And it felt like a safety blanket and like, you know, armour really around me. It's like, all right, kids in school are calling me names or whatever. But look, I can smash this drum kit around. So 
that was definitely a part of it. Talk me through what drums we have here. Okay, so we've got the snare, mm-hmm. which is a normal drum, but it's got some wires like that yeah. underneath it. Then these are our toms. These are rack mount toms because they're above the bass drum, which sits beneath them. Big old bass drum here. Okay, so where else would they would they go? So you normally would have them either mounted in the bass drum or on stands around the drum. Right. So the difference between the rack toms and this one is this is a floor tom. It's got a floor mm-hmm. tom. It's got little legs. Yes. So this sits on the floor, and they generally with a drum kit, Ed, with the drums anyway. If you're um, if you're in this configuration where the hi hat, the cymbals with the pedals are to your left, the drums start off high pitched. Okay, and then go lower as they as you move to Absolutely. the right. Absolutely. So when you're doing a little fill, you know it's like. And, this, and the hi-hat is on your left, and then the cymbals are obviously also, the crashes mm-hmm. are getting larger as well as they, as they go. So, so what would this be as, obviously this is a standard for a right-handed drummer? Yeah, this is a standard. Darling, this is a rock setter. This obviously. is a rock setter. I always go for a rock setter. <laughs> so we've got two crash cymbals here, we've got a 16-inch and a 19-inch, and then we've got a ride cymbal here as well, which is... The, the crash cymbals make a crashing sound, as the name suggests. Mm-hmm. The ride cymbal is more of a kind of riding sound... Whereas your crash cymbals are proper, you know, it's a right. proper kind of rock sound. That. What, so, what would be the different configuration? Say, if you were doing, I don't know, say a jazz drum kit. Mm. Yeah, probably you'd be wow. playing it with, you know, with reeds or brushes. Oh, you'd have a little, <laughs> definitely, you'd have a little brush. You'd be caressing the snare drum with a little <laughs> brush, Ed. Yeah. And jazz drumming's amazing. It's something I've never been able to grasp. I like hitting things in things hard. You mm-hmm. know? Whereas jazz drummers are like. It's amazing. I wish I could play jazz drumming. But as far as conf- configuration is concerned, a jazz drum kit is not massively dissimilar to this. You'd probably have um, maybe one less tom. You might have your ride cymbal instead of your middle f- middle rack tom here. Right. So it's closer to your snare drum. But generally, whenever you see a drum kit on TV or whatever, they all kind of look the same. Uh-huh. You've got the bass drum obviously on its side like this, facing forwards. You've got the toms over it or beside it. And then you've got the snare drum in front of you and your hi-hat. And they're the main components, really. Mm-hmm. Symbols are, like, you know, peripheral. You can add as many of those as you want. And you can make it super extra with symbols. There was a movement in the 80s with the mm. sort of hair metal bands to just always go bigger and bigger with drum kits. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you look at them and go, oh, I'd love to do that? Or do you look at them and go, that is just silly? When I was younger, I was like, give me all the drums. You know, I want to be extra. I want it to be... I used to have... I'm trying to think if I did My first drum kit I had was a lovely red kit, very similar to this one, so five-piece. By the way, when you're counting pieces of a drum kit, you just count the drums. So okay, you don't count, you don't count cymbals. Cymbals. Right. cymbals are extra. Um, but then I went up to an eight-piece kit because I think there's something about drummers a lot of the time. Because they're at the back, mm-hmm. a lot of the time drummers want to be like, hey... Hun, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, adding more drums to it kind of gives you more presence. But definitely in the rock, kind of glam rock era, they loved big old drums and tons of them. Well, then in in heavy metal, you'd have the two bass drums, wouldn't you? Yeah, two bass drums. You've got to do that. That was that classic, the double (laughs) bass sound. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which means, you know, you can really go for it with a double bass. But you don't need two bass drums. You can get pedals that have got basically like a rod that connects two pedals together. All right. So you can just play it on one bass drum. Yeah. 
If you were to go for a drum kit, would you go for something, you know, bijou like this, or would you want an 80s rock kit? I, I, I'll be honest with you, and I am thinking of getting one because my son has just started lessons, and it ah. was, I, well, the first move will be just the ones that you just plug headphones into. Yeah, they're the, the best. little ones. Mm. They take up less room in your house, and they make less noise. And this is the thing. So I've got a kit like this one, but I've recently had it converted to electric. Neighbours are thrilled. Aaron, my husband, is thrilled because, you know, it looks like this, but it's so much quieter. Oh, so you've got an actual drum kit, but you've, you've altered it so that you yeah. can plug headphones into it and it, the sound's all deadened, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so the skins come off, you replace the skins with mesh, and I had to basically take all the drums apart and attach these triggers inside it. Right. But it's brilliant. It's amazing how technologies come forward in that way, because, you know, you were talking about the 80s drum kits. Mm-hmm. 80s was also the time when electric drums really started. Oh, yeah, those uh, hexagonal... Yeah. Tom's. That's it. Exactly like that. <laughs> See, it's like we've got one here. But they, they were problematic, though, because they, you'd get something called Simmons Elbow. Because right. they were so hard, you, you'd smack okay. them. And there was, not, there was too Good much bounce. So you'd get a little bit of an injury on the old uh, elbow. Don't get that with skins, obviously, because they're a bit more forgiving. Right. But obviously, louder as well. Right. Give us a pelt. Go on. Shall I? Or if you insist. Would you? Ed, do you want to count me in? How's your counting? It's pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. There you go. Okay. One, two, one, two, three, four. There we go, little rat tat tat. <laughs> Have you ever taught anybody how to play the drums? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not kind of... Fully, but I think I can get you playing a, you know, a beat and maybe a couple of fills as well. I'd be delighted if you could, yeah, just to see if yeah. I got any potential whatsoever. Okay, so shall we start? At, this is the most basic beat. Mm-hmm. I won't get you to do this straight away. Oh, he's taking his shirt Take off. Taking his shirt off. He does have something on under the shirt, by the way. <laughs> you mean business? Let the record show. <laughs> so this is a four-four beat, which is the most basic beat. Mm-hmm. So we do it really slow. So it's one two. So oh, straight away now, you're using your foot on the bass drum, yeah. you're using this drum, this and then you're doing four on the on the head. You're doing three things. Three things. And that's basic. That's basic. That's just straight away, that you're doing three things. <laughs> but you'll get that. You'll okay. get that. The main thing to remember is you're counting one, two, three, four on the hi-hat. Yeah. You cross your hands over. Mm-hmm. Don't know why, actually. A bit weird, I always thought. But mm-hmm. it's what drummers do. So, you know, I'm like a sheep, so I'll follow all the other drummers. Yeah. So we go one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Then, on one, you hit the bass drum. Right. So, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Then on three, you hit the snap. On three? So, yeah, yeah. It's, weird. it's a weird beat. So, yeah. one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Okay. So, that's what you're going to play. see if I've got that. Right, take the sticks. Before you <sighs> use the hi-hat, I'm just going to get you to do the one and the three on the snare and the bass drum. So, I'll count... So on one, you hit the okay, bass drum. Right. On three, you hit the snare drum. Okay. okay. Right. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Amazing. Two, three, four. All right. You're doing it. Okay. Right. So now, put, your, pretty... put your foot on the higher pedal to close the cymbals. There right. we go. Perfect. So do you want to just try doing the one, four two, on three? That. Yeah, yeah. Just try doing one, two, three, four. Lovely. One, two. Now on three, snare, two, One, two, three, four. Lovely. 
Ah, see, it, I've it already gets, done it. I've it already, done, I've already done it twice. I already it's, did it on the three and the four. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Just try hitting it on the three to start with. No. <laughs> One. I've forgotten how to count. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. Now bring in the bass. On. One, two, I see. I, I say, then you stop doing that. Going, I know. It's, it, it's straight away. The moment in three, it's like trying to learn. If you ever, you ever played golf, never. Played I'm golf, not a big actually. golfer. I've, I've, I've ruined several holidays by trying to learn how to play golf. And it's like they tell you to do one thing, mm. and then to do the second thing, and then they, when they, as soon as they introduce the third thing, it's gone. It's gone. What about crazy golf? That's more my kind. Oh, of kind of. That's my. That's how I would describe my style of golf. <laughs> Hit that and not that. So, should we slow it down? You getting there? No, getting I'm getting there. there very, very slowly. Take the hi hat out of it. Right, hi hat's gone. Hi hat's gone. Okay. Just do the one, two, three, four on one, the bass and the snap. One, two, three, four. That's it. He's hitting the hi hat, everybody. I'm, I'm He's giving... hitting. Oh, is hitting the hi hat. It's not me. I don't want people to think I picked this up straight well, away. See, I just wanted to have the hi hat. So I have hear it. no potential at this whatsoever. No, right. you have. You have. You have. Slow it down a bit. Slow it down. So let's go. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Let me go. Go to get it. Here we go. One okay. more time. Okay. One more time. <laughs> You've got it. You've got it. One more. Okay. I was getting it there. You I had it there for a second. I did it for a few rounds, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I got louder and louder as I got more frustrated with it. <laughs> Sensational! <laughs> it was excellent. Ed, you were playing it then. You were doing it. I was starting to get it there. I was yeah. starting to just about get it there. I just yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not going to give up the day job just yet. And you've been doing it for like two minutes. Do you enjoy the juxtaposition? Because we were mm. again. You were talking about the drummer, drummer jokes. There's a yep. lot of drummer jokes. Oh, loads. And they, they tend to revolve around drummers being sort of meatheads. You know, totally. Like, how do you know the drum riser's level? The drummer's dribbling out of both sides. <laughs> exactly. And they tend to be, you know, in the, the stereotypical thing, there's a sort of meathead, alpha male of the band. Yeah. Whenever you talk to a, a singer or guitarist who has a broken heart story, the, she always ran off with the drummer. Yeah. Whereas you're... You know, you're not that. No, absolutely. And you enjoy that. You enjoy the fact that you're not a typical drummer. Is that even perhaps, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, is that 
could that be part of what drew you to it? I think so. I think especially now. I think now that I've realised that I can be flamboyant and camp, and it took it's taken me years to get there, you know, and also be a good drummer because it's probably down to the fact that you don't see many drummers who are camp, flamboyant, gay men. It's not a thing that you almost associate with them. It's weird. And actually, when I did the drumathon last year, where I played the drums for 24 hours, that was one thing I really wanted to try and show, was that you don't have to be a certain type of person to be a drummer. Yeah. You know, you can be... Anyone can be a drummer. Mm. So me camping it up on the percussive princess, as I call her, <laughs> is just perfect. And, and I think you're completely right. There is a real juxtaposition between what's expected and what is seen when I play the drums anyway, I suppose. Yeah. Because yeah, even, even as a, musically speaking, even a female drummer is a very rare thing. Yeah. You know, just drummers, they tend to be quite big. It's not even to do with being flamboyant or being camp. Mm. You're like me, you're quite thin. Yeah. We are, dainty. Weedy. Well, I'd rather dainty, darling. We can go for weedy if you like. (laughs) But no, you're right. You know, we haven't got the big guns. We haven't got the tattoos all over us. Mm. And a lot of the time in rock bands, especially, you'd kind of see the drummer as that, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, exactly. Dripping with sweat. Oh, yeah. Having to be strong in order to smash this drum kit around. But some of the best drummers, Karen Carpenter, one of the best drummers who ever lived, you know, she was... Amazing. Very sad, obviously, because she wasn't really allowed to show how amazing she was at the drums. Because despite the fact that she described herself as a drummer who could sing, what was seen was a singer who could play the drums. But she absolutely shreds that drum kit. And and she was, you know, um, she wasn't muscly. She wasn't a big, strong person, you know. She was a small woman. Well, I always think of Sheila E. As obviously, yeah. As, as, as growing up as a Prince fan, that was, she was always uh, the 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 A grade as regards female drummers. But she was hundred percent. Yeah, the drummers who sing then. Oh, it's hard. So I got drunk one time. Well, I mean, <laughs> not just one time, but this one time I uh, had a couple of drinks and I went on um, eBay and I wanted to buy the headset that Britney Spears uses, okay. which, if you're interested, is a Crown CM311A. So I thought I want to, you know, when I'm doing my karaoke performances, I want to feel more Britney Spears than even Britney Spears. So this thing... Just to picture it, is that the one that's kind of like, it looks like a circular thing that goes right in front of... That's it, yeah, yeah. And it's got like a silver bit on the end of it and they're quite distinctive and you see them... They're not like the little discreet head mics that people use. No, it almost looks like the kind of thing you'd wear if you're in a helicopter, you know, when you're speaking to like air traffic control. So anyway, this thing arrived about three weeks later and um, couldn't remember buying it, but did. (laughs) So... Isn't it? Online when you're drunk. Absolutely. It's a surprise gift to yourself. Yes, and it was brill. And so I used the thing for karaoke a bit, you know, and it's very fun, very fun. But then I thought, right, I wonder if I can use this in order to record myself speaking whilst I'm drumming. So I put it on and, you know, would, would kind of practice with it. And luckily, when I, again, go back to the drumathon, I needed to interview people whilst doing that. And I realised how hard it is to speak and even to think about anything else other than what you're doing. Like when we had our drum lesson earlier, you know, you've got to really concentrate on it, haven't you? So drummers who can sing, I think, are just just amazing. Because when you're hitting drums as well, you know, your body is physically kind of moving and shaking a bit. So that you have to be very strong, you have to vocally you have to be very strong. People like, you know, Phil Collins, mm-hmm. 
who uses a Crown CM311A, by the way, Ed. Yeah, thought you'd be interested. Uh, is so good at it. And people like Karen Carpenter, obviously. She was a great singer and drummer at the same time. But the one thing I feel about it is, oh my God, it's just bloody hard. Yeah. It's really hard. I, also just, I, I remember David O'Doherty used to have a song called It's Not Quite Right. We were talking about relationships and things like that. And things right. Not being quite right. And one of the examples he gave on things that are not quite right bands where the drummer sings. Yeah. Because there is something about the drummer singing compared to somebody sitting behind a piano mm. somebody holding a guitar that even even bass guitarists singing are bit, quite yeah. rare. Yes, unusual. But, but, but a drummer singing seems to be a real kind of, no, that's not supposed and, to happen. And also, I think sometimes it just looks a bit weird, yeah. doesn't it? Because you're kind of if you're playing the piano, you can like, you know, move up and down the keys like this or whatever. Whereas you're pretty fixed when you're drumming. Mm-hmm. So you end up just sort of, you can only really rotate your head around and it can be quite intense, I think. I think whenever you see a band where the, where the lead singer is the drummer, there's still got to be at least four or five songs where he gets out from, or she gets out from oh, behind that drum kit. Definitely. And has to step in, which I feel is an admission on yeah. their part. Yeah, you're right. It's a bit weird. No, no, and there's no way of making it right. Even Phil Collins in the air tonight. Half of that song, well, three quarters of that song, there aren't any drums in it. <laughs> exactly. Then at the end, he's like, "All right, everyone, I'll do it now." And then off he goes. <laughs> Yeah, 24 hours. How were you at the end of that? Oh, Ed, it was mad. Like, to be honest, right, at the end of it, I did feel like I thought I'd be dead. You know, I thought I'm going to need to just go to bed and go to sleep. But because the money kept coming in and because the total just kept on getting higher and higher, it just, it really kind of woke me up after what was the most bonkers 24 hours. My arms were really hurting, obviously. I had injuries on my arms where I'd hit myself or where the tendons had been moving so much that I had these, like, lines of bruises along my arms. Very weird. You shouldn't spend so long on that 80s electronic drum kit. That's what it was. See, I I don't know why I bothered doing that, honestly. My elbows are in bits. (laughs) Afterwards, after we finished the drumathon, I think we finished at, like, 25 to 9 on the Saturday morning. And the total kept on going up and, you know, I was ready to go home now. I was ready to go to bed. But Aaron, my husband, was there. My two closest friends from Swansea, Sam and Joe, they were both there. And Sam and Joe, both of them, both sisters from Swansea, they'd always come to my gigs when I was younger, you know, playing with different bands. So we were all in very high spirits and high jinks. So my agent said, let's go to a bar. So I think it was like... Because you've been drumming for 24 hours. Presumably you were awake even longer oh. than that because you probably were quite excited about the whole thing. Totally. I didn't sleep. The night before, I only slept for two hours. Yeah. So I was up for the best part of two days. Yeah. And then for one of those days, I was drumming the whole time yeah. and presenting, a, you know, the Drumathon mm-hmm. TV show mm-hmm. for 24 hours. So went to a little bar on the corner. I demanded some dry ice in the ice bucket <laughs> and it got even more theatrical than the Drumathon. Yeah. But it was just, it was an amazing end to a, what was a spectacular day. Mm-hmm. And it, that changed my life. And it was just brilliant. I mean, when you say that the drumathon changed, changed your life, I mean, I yeah. the, the, the real change was before that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the real change was this viral video I made in lockdown. And I would often record myself doing drum covers, even here in this building that we're in now. Music box studios. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd come down here, set up my little camera over there, record myself playing drum covers, put them on, you know, my social media or whatever. People would love it. And when I went to London, I would do the same thing. But in lockdown, uh, I was working from home. Mm-hmm. So I was doing the weather forecast from home. The weirdest thing ever. I'd get up in the morning. I would get half dressed in my three-piece suit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I put the waistcoat, the jacket, the tie on and wear like shorts because you wouldn't see anything else. Two, two. Two out of three ain't bad, as Meatloaf would say. Well, exactly. In the in the words of Meat, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was doing my weather forecast in the garden. And it was a weird time because it was that really hot summer, wasn't it? Like April, but really early summer. And um, I was in Leeds. Me and Aaron were living up in Leeds. My parents were in Wales. I was full of anxiety, worrying about them because it was before any vaccines and all this. And people were, you know, on social media, the kind of... the. The, the feel was very, it was very negative a lot of the time, very, very depressing. And so was the news. So I thought I'm going to do something to make myself feel a bit better. Maybe people will enjoy it. If they do, lush. If they don't, well, fine. So me and Aaron thought of this idea of doing a cover of the BBC News music mm-hmm. and starting it off then with like a really camp weather forecast. So I'm like, that's, that's the forecast. The forecast. I'll, see you, soon. I'll see you soon. Then the music starts and I kind of mince out of shot and then, you know, go behind my drum kit and start shredding it, basically. Massively overplaying it. Really going for it. Why it worked was, I think people would see me at the start and not a lot of people didn't know who I was. They saw this camp weather presenter with a big quiff, mm-hmm. you know, and then would go behind this drum kit and be able to play it quite well. Mm-hmm. And I think people found that really shocking. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the juxtaposition. Yeah. yeah, totally. And loads of people have said that to me. They've said we just weren't expecting that to happen because mm-hmm. none of the weather audience knew that I was a drummer. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that changed everything. And then that became, because then that became the sort of centrepiece at the, towards the end of, of the, yeah. the drummathon as well. That's right. Drumming along to the BBC news music. Yeah, with 50 other drummers and it was brilliant. And just, I find it so baffling how you can do one thing and how that can almost change the course of your life completely. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely mad that. Even now, Ed, people will come up to me and say, yesterday somebody came up to me saying, oh, I loved your drumming during lockdown. Mm-hmm. And it's a thing that, for some reason, has just stayed with people. And I love that. Yeah. Well, I think the, the things that people, you know, remember from then, mm. they do, they say, I mean, there's a number of people, you don't, don't like to say, like, oh, you know, lockdown was the making of them, but you know what I mean? There yeah. People who just took to the internet and just tried to cheer folk up and some of it hit and some of it didn't. And, and yeah. for whom it hit, you know, they deserve... Everything they got out of it, I guess, because they were, were, you know, people needed to be lifted. And it kind of worked. And, you know, I'm not an influencer. I've never been one who has wanted to kind of, you know, 
do that sort of thing on social media. I find like it's always just been an extension of my job. You know, I do it because it's kind of part of the job. But kind of, yeah, you're expected to. Yeah, 100% you're expected to. Presence. Definitely. And be up there being digital first and all that. Yeah. But yeah, that drumming video, did it in two takes, you know, in my house in Leeds and then off it went and madness. Yeah, so you could do that in two takes. Imagine how many takes it would have taken me. Well, yeah, quite quite a few. But you'll get that. You'll get that. Do you want to do a drum fill? Go on, then. So, off the back of that, mm-hmm. you would do four on each... You would do... Hang on. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, then. Now, when you say one, two, three, four... Like that. Yeah. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Crash. You make it look easy, darling. You make it look so easy. <laughs> very good. Are you well, enjoying you. your drum lesson? Yeah, no, I am, absolutely. Well, yeah. Very much so. Okay, one more thing. Do you want to learn another one, beat? One more, yeah, exactly. Okay. There we go. One more beat. Maybe I'll do, it'll do better with this one. Okay, so this one we're going to do two four, which is actually easier. I thought okay. I'd complicate things early. Why mm-hmm. not? We're going to use the ride cymbal for this one. So it's, it's basically like four four, but cut in half. Okay. So you go, it's just one, two, one, two, one, two. So you go alternate between the bass drum and the snare drum for your one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, like that. And for every beat, you hit the right cymbal as well. Okay. You hit it too hard, am I? No, I hit it as hard as you like. and then just lose it. Well, you are speeding up quite a lot. Ah, that's what it is. Is that a, is that a tendency well, for beginners? Well, you see, there's this joke about drummers, that how do you know if a drummer's knocking at your door? You're going to love this one. Because it starts off like this, then it... And that's, that's you playing the drums. But don't worry about that, because... You that's just... me doing a lot of things at wine. There's a lot of disappointed partners out there. Really? Where they're just, just, you just... As soon as you, as soon as you think, oh, I know what I'm doing, I'll just do it faster. <laughs> That's blokes, isn't it? <laughs> well, I thought that you applied it very well there, to be honest. Well, to the drums. <laughs> Maybe it works better on the drums than other things. I don't know. But that's ve- very good. Okay. So you did your 4-4 four, four, then. You did your... You did your... And you did your 2-4. So, I think... 
Marks out of ten on your first lesson. One, two, one, two, one, two. It's, it's, a, strong, <laughs> it's a strong eight for me. Really? Well, you I think you're it. being very kind. Well, no, I mean, mm. you know, I'm being very honest. Because <laughs> some people are... Some people haven't got any rhythm. And right. that's the problem. You've definitely got rhythm. Definitely got it. I reckon, you know... There's potential here. Get a drum kit. Get the headphones. Don't speed up. <laughs> and you'll be flying. My wife would be delighted. <laughs> Yeah. Can you give, give me the names of some of the rock oh my gosh. bands you would have been so, in the early 90s? Yeah, it would have been through the 90s. Uh, yeah. Probably the, like, late 90s. Because I know you like a bit of emo. Love a bit of emo. Yes. yes. So, have you seen those pictures of me with my... We were on a show together called The Hit List. Yeah. And uh, the bit where I went absolutely got ruined was when Owen oh, picked... Emo oh, yes. Of course. <laughs> anyway, I yeah, were, you, you, yeah. Quite, quite the emo kid. Oh, quite the, I had a big fringe, you know, mm. when I had these skin-tight jeans. Um, names. Okay, so the one of them was we were a band who did Welsh and English songs. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to call ourselves Starsky, but because we were Welsh, we decided to spell it with an I at the end. <laughs> Starsky. So, right, that sounds quite Russian. <laughs> it does, actually, upon reflection. Yeah. We had Starsky, the Magic Rooster Brothers. The Magic Rooster Brothers. How many yeah. of you were there? Three of us. Um, not related. No, not related. Two of us were Ginger. So, you know, could have been related, I guess. Right. The name came before I was there. So my friends Callum and Gwillem, who were in the band... Mm. Me and this other drummer, amazing drummer, Adam, we'd share the drumming, basically, because he was very busy and I was quite busy. So we'd like slot ourselves in where we could. So I became a Magic Rooster brother. So I can't take any credit for the naming of that band and therefore can kind of step aside from any potential embarrassment. Or you didn't try and change the name once you... No, I didn't actually. No, I just stayed with it. You're right. And, and I was... I take responsibility for allowing it to happen and continue to happen. And become a Magic Rooster Brother. So we had Starsky, Magic Rooster Brothers. Uh, we had The Overtones. The Overtones? Yeah, yeah. yeah original. We, did undertones covers, at least. we didn't do a single undertone cover, no. And when we did Welsh gigs, because Welsh is my first language, we would call ourselves Our Overtones. Our is the in Welsh. So we would kind of, you know, we were able to flip between. But Overtones remained in English, you know. Okay. We were happy to change the V. What is the Welsh for Overtones? Uh, I suppose it would be something like Ton I Drossoth or Ton Drossoth or something. Not as catchy, really, isn't it? No, no. Okay, was there a point then when you realised this isn't going to be your living? Yeah. Was there a point where you, you did harbour a desire to be a professional drummer? Oh, it's what I wanted to do. All the way through school, you know, I wasn't really, at the time I was school, they weren't brilliant with kind of music. If you played rugby, yeah. brill, yeah. you know, you would get all the support. Yeah. It was a very different time then. I, I mean, I'm not a rugby player, babe. You know, I wasn't going to be getting onto that field. Again, I, I identify, I completely, completely understand. See, so people like you and I probably like actually know to the rugby. But really through school, I would always have to ask for drum lessons. And eventually, I think about four years in, uh, we got a drum tutor to come to the school and I had to take my drums into the school to get taught on them. And I'd already self-taught myself for the past six well, you years. Take your drums in, so you had to take them in and, and leave them there? No, I'd take them in, have my drum lesson, then my mother would take them home in the uh, Austin Montego. Right. Yeah. That can't have been easy. 
No, no, it wasn't easy. Um, you know, I, I was very lucky. My parents were are amazingly supportive. So through school, yeah, the drums were there. I was like, I want to do this. But then thought, I'm going to get my grades up on the drums, be a session drummer. And then I got a job when I was 18 with the BBC presenting a kids' news programme. And then drumming went from being, you know, what I really wanted to be my job to a hobby. So your head was turned by another aspect of show business. Yeah, it was. Before you ever really applied yourself fully. To, to pursuing drumming as a profession. Hundred percent. So do you do you ever in a sort of everything everywhere all at once <laughs> wonder about if you've taken another path? Oh my gosh, how different would my life be if I ended up being a session drummer? And then and then you did a twenty four hour weatherathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, that would be something, wouldn't it? And the weather came quite far down the road then because I worked in this kids' programme for yeah, years. You were already a TV presenter. Yeah, absolutely. Then got trained up in the BBC, actually, to be a journalist. You know, I didn't go to journalism college or anything like that. Always interested in the environment. So then got a job presenting the weather on the radio. I did weather and travel. I was terrible at the travel. But certainly if you're doing traffic news. Yeah. It's, you're, the news is never good. No, it's not. You're always telling people about problems, I found. Never solution. Never solution. Always a problem, never a solution. You have to find the solution yourself. So do you still, Mm. I'm 39. Do you still, not yet 40, harbour a desire and think maybe one day, maybe I might still have a career change? Oh. Maybe drumming might be the thing I actually still, there's still time for me Mm. to be living. I I think the ship has sailed. I think that moment has gone. I and I and I fully accept it. But what I do love now is I get to play the drums almost as part of my job in a way. You know, and it's it's one of the when I do the Radio 2 show, I love talking about music and about drummers and and I feel like it's become a bigger part of my identity now more well, recently. I, show you did, I know you're doing the early breakfast show on Radio 2. Early breakfast show ruined your social life ruined <laughs> your uh, ability to do other things it's a weird one i feel like my life has been reconfigured in a way because i get up now every day at quarter past three uh, this morning when i was driving to work you know i saw like a, a drunk man dropping his bag of chips on the floor and i was like oh i remember those days <laughs> but now that's when i'm going into work mm. i love it so much i love radio i love doing the show we do it from gorgeous cardiff which is sensational it's, yeah, we are indeed in Cardiff in a lovely little rehearsal room. Yeah, it's changed my life a little bit in that I've got to go to bed earlier. I do it early in the morning. Yeah. People are like raring to go because it's the morning and it's a great way to start the day. Yeah, I love doing it. I call them my Bora Darlings and they seem to like that and we're all Bora Darlings together. Sweet. But I remember yeah. the show that you did just about drumming. You were doing yes, hours, right? that's right, yeah. And I loved some of those quite a forensic analysis of a lot of it. Going, yeah, that, that's there. That's a gated snare, and the, what they are doing is they're using a technique called this, that, the other. And mm. I, I found that fascinating because there's a lot oh, more to drumming amazing. than people I think give credence to. 100%. And I think a lot of the time, because the drummer is physically at the back of where the band is, you know, when you look at a band, when you visualise a band, you see the drummer at the back. But when you listen to the music, the drums are really at the front. You know, they're, they're often louder than a lot of stuff, but because they're short little hits of sound, you know, they don't overwhelm a lot of the time. And I love the technical aspect of it as well. But I think as far as being a, a proper session drummer, that ship has sailed. Unless... You know, I was approached and said, oh, and do you want to be the new drummer for whoever? Maybe I will, but 
I love having it as a hobby, Ed, and, and I think that's what's kept the delight in me as well. We mentioned in the air tonight about Phil Collins. Yes. Where does that sit in the drumming firmament? Is, it, is that one of those ones where drummers don't see it as... Do, do drummers raise it as highly as, as the rest of the general public? I don't. No. Because I think it's... The drums don't start until nearly the end of the song. But so many people think of it as the most iconic drumming song. I had Michelle Visage on my show the other day talking about it and she was she chose it as her air drum anthem. Yeah. And so many people just love that song. I think it's partly down to that advert with the gorilla playing the drums. That certainly gave it a bit of a revival. It gave it a little something something, didn't it? Mm. But it's quite an easy fill to play. Okay, Do you want to... Can you show me? Yeah. Ed, we're back at the drum kit. Right. With this fill, it sounds like... With this fill, by Phil. Phil's fill, it sounds like... So we're going down, now. we? We're starting high. So it's on the toms. So you start off with this high tom. So it's essentially... Okay, so... So this is how it's actually played. So a couple on the high tom... Then yeah. a couple on both toms. Yeah. Then a couple on the mid, the mid tom. tom. Then the mid tom oh. on the floor. Okay. And then I would go on the floor tom then. Right. So. He's a drummer, ladies and gentlemen. Do you feel that coming in the air tonight? Well, listen, sell me on drumming. Give me a pitch. If I was, because I'm already on the fence, I've already got quite fancy. I think, as I say, my son has started doing lessons. Yeah. So it's it's, it's most likely that a drum is going to end up in the head. Got to get one. Got to get one. Okay, drumming. Why is it good? Uh, great for the mind. Very mindful. You know, takes you away from whatever you're thinking about. You feel like you're part of it. You're not just there, you know, playing a single instrument. You're surrounded by instruments. And also, it's great for exercise. One of the few instruments that's actually a workout when you play it and when you really go for it. So, drumming, I'm there for it. I, I love that. I've never thought of it that way. I never thought of the drums as, it's not one instrument, it's several instruments yeah. around you. Yeah, I love that. I like that as, a, as, as an idea. There you but, go. you know, glockenspiel players don't, don't try and play <laughs> Do you know who's a really nice bloke? Oh, I. Oh, I. Win Evans. Yeah. Top notch individual. Yeah. Yeah. And um, did you learn to play the drums then? I. Do you now understand? I understand now. Uh, I had to go. It was a bit of gas. I didn't spend enough time to to really gauge whether or not I have any innate talent. But I think, from on first impression, no. <laughs> I was a bit rushed. Owain's a bit nice in that he kept saying, oh, no, you're doing quite well. But I think he's just trying to be nice. He is insanely nice. It's a, it's a good chat. But drums, I would I would absolutely, if there was a drum kit in the house, say if our eldest son was to insist on, on buying a drum kit, I definitely would be having a go of it. Would you have some lessons? Would you take it that far? Like, would you want to be quite good at it? Would you? Could you see it as a bit of a hobby? I mean, it fits into my criteria of yes. learning something. It never ended up being a drummer in a band, would I? So I'd, so I'd say I'd probably do it for a few weeks and then go, I'm never going to be a drummer in a band, am I? And then I'd stop. Already talked myself out of this. I've talked myself into it. 
He could be a drummer in a band. He might not be not in a band a that ever plays band. Wembley Stadium. Yeah. Be a he could band. be in a bunch of middle-aged yeah. dad's band drumming down the pub. I'm 51 now. I'd probably have to be at least 55 before I've got good enough to play in front of people. Well, people would be pegging it. You'd be able to just slide in when some, some drummer had fallen off his stool. I think I'll just have to make do with just just having a go on our eldest son's drum kit. If he listens to the podcast, he'll be delighted. He'll just, might edge, be getting a drum just edge closer to getting his own drum kit. Ed Byrne Needs a Hobby was presented by me, Ed Byrne. Obviously. The music was by Clementine Arnold, and it was produced by Laura Grimshaw. <laughs> <laughs>